Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Philosophy Today. Very excitingly, I'm going to get started on, um, I think, the most important part of this painting, which is kind of like the nose area. And I am going to be talking about quite an interesting topic, at least to me, which is happiness in general. So I'll just set the scene and then we'll start painting. So what I wanted to talk about today is why we, or at least I, um, am potentially quite uncomfortable with being asked how happy I am. Why are we kind of, why is it not an acceptable or very easy question to ask someone um, like, are you happy or are you okay? Or, you know, what's your happiness levels like right now? Because at least for me, um, at various times in my life, I think if I would have been asked this question, I would have genuinely just burst out into tears. <laughs> um, I don't think it's a very easy question to ask. And still now it kind of makes you slightly uncomfortable. It's not, it's, it's not that you can meet someone or a friend and you can I guess with friends, to some extent, you can go, hey, how, you know, what's your happiness levels right now? But in general, it tends to be a bit of a, at least weird um, slash personal question to ask. And I think, um, at least for me, it does lead to some level of kind of discomfort um, thinking about my levels of happiness in general. And it kind of makes me a bit uneasy. I guess I treat it almost in a way as this kind of background background thing that I don't want to focus on for too long um, because then I might realize that I'm actually not that happy or that I need to make changes and none of that stuff is comfortable. So I guess it's, I just let it be this background thing that I hope I can ignore for the longest time possible and not really draw a lot of attention to, which I mean, probably not ideal. So that's what I wanted to kind of um, talk about today because I genuinely do believe that happiness is something learned and course, I'm sure that there are people who are happy to some extent without being taught to be happy. Um, but I think maybe it's controversial, but I genuinely do think that we are, we should be taught and we can be taught to be happy and either we do it unintentionally or life teaches us. But I think it's something that is learned. It's not something that just, you know, happens. Um, and it's not something that at least you can sustain for a very long time, um, at least healthily without learning to do so. And it's so bizarre then that there's very little, if any, um, teaching around happiness in general. And um, this can be from our families, this can be from our school. I don't think that we get taught how to be happy. Um, things like kind of mental hygiene, things like um, self-esteem, things like understanding yourself, things like what to do when you're not happy. We don't get taught these things. And it's, I think, very, very bizarre because presumably a lot of us aim to be happy in life. And that for a lot of us, at least for me, is one of kind of my top priorities and one of my top goals in life. And yet there is very little intentionality behind it. And so I think that happiness is a combination of habits, um, habits that we accumulate either kind of intentionally or unintentionally throughout our life. And then those definitely, in my opinion, kind of contribute to or build this thing that we call happiness. And then it becomes interesting for me to kind of start to think, where will my current habits take me? Um, or what level of happiness can I have in the future with my current habits? Um, as in a year from now, if I behave the way that I do, um, if I, if things change. So I think the only constant in the universe is change. I firmly believe this. So I do think that I'll never be as confident or um, insecure as I am right now, that will likely change. But given the habits that I have in place, I can 
in some way potentially slightly extrapolate um, into seeing where my levels of self-confidence will be in a year. Where will my levels of self-confidence be in five years or 10 years or 50 years, for example? And then if there's are not to change, if I'm not to be intentional with them, where will that take me in life and how happy will I be? Um, so sometimes I try to do this. I try to look at uh, my habits at the moment for exercising, for my habits around communicating with people, my habits around um, staying or hanging out with friends, my habits around eating, my habits around learning, my habits around kind of education and self-reflection and growth and addressing issues that I currently have. And I think looking at all of these habits, I then start to wonder, okay, um, where, where, where are these taking me and where will my levels of happiness be? And um, I think in general, I want to be just more comfortable with asking myself this. Um, I want to be more comfortable with the question of, are you happy, Elizabeth? Um, and how can we improve this without feeling the need to <laughs> burst out <laughs> into tears? Should anyone ask me at any point in my life if I am happy? Uh, I don't think I'm at that stage right now. Actually, I was at that stage last week. Um, someone asked me how my week has gone and I was like, oh, don't do this, please. And I burst into tears. Um, so um, sometimes it happens. And then I realized that. And so I've kind of taken measures this weekend. So today I have a getaway and I'm going to kind of, um, I think, reevaluate what I'm doing with my life and do some CBT to myself and kind of, yeah, get back on track. Because I realized when that happened, I was like, okay, you're not okay. Um, you definitely need a bit of an intervention here. But anyways, yeah. So in terms of kind of then if we do a low key assessment of what should I potentially think of when I'm thinking of my happiness and what should I potentially think of when I'm thinking about my habits and um yeah and why is it so difficult to think about happiness and this kind of ties in with something not this loosely ties in with something else which um I've realized which is also that people tend to judge things that make me happy without realizing that happiness is the hardest thing to come by. And what I mean by this is, for example, I have this kind of crazy, complicated second brain thing. Um, so a system for note-taking, which is, I, I admit, it, it's quite over the top and it's quite complex and I definitely don't recommend it to most people. Um, but whenever people see this, they go, that that's crazy. That's so, that's so complicated. Why would you do this? Why would you waste your time with this? Um, or I can't believe that you do this thing. And the thing that always comes to mind with me is that it's just so easy for me. It's not difficult. It's not complex. I don't find it. Um, it does bring me happiness, but I don't find it to be challenging um, in any way to maintain. And I don't find it to be kind of exhausting in the way that people assume when they ask me about it. And then the thing that I realized furthermore beyond that is that the, the difficult part about having, let's say, a very complicated system around note taking, the, the most difficult part is liking to read. The most difficult part is not taking the notes. Um, so I think that's the mindset shift that when I say that to people, they go, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. Um, in the way that it's not hard to, it, it would be hard to take the system, to do the system if you hated note-taking, but if you love note-taking, then the system makes complete sense and is very, very easy. And I think it's when we look at things from like the edges, from the upwards in, and we go, oh, this thing that this person is doing, the exercising must be so, so difficult, or, you know, running a marathon must be so, so difficult. Well, if the person loves exercising, then running a marathon is easy, if that makes sense. And in the same way, if someone loves reading, um, note-taking becomes very easy. So then 
instead of looking at the things that people do and going, oh my God, I could never do that. That's so difficult. If we go a level deeper into what is the thing that's actually giving them happiness there, what is the thing that they are passionate about, then it becomes kind of clearer and it becomes easier to understand why, what would possess someone to do something that seems very, very complicated. And the place that they are getting happiness from this thing might be actually different to the thing that we are considering. So the reason I'm saying this um, is going into the things that kind of finding out when you were a child or finding out the things that make you genuinely happy. Especially, I think the, the the nice things to consider here are the things that other people would think are crazy. Not because you want to do things to shock other people, but things that are unique to you, that you realize that, oh, this is not everyone. And that, for example, for me, I, I realize this when people go, oh my God, you take, you know, take so much. And I'm like, yes, why do I do this? This is so weird. This doesn't feel bad to me. And then I go, oh, it's because I love reading so much and I love organizing thoughts so much. And I like, um, and then that makes sense. That that's the, That's the original source. So I kind of like to ask my friends and I kind of like to ask people now um, who they were before the world got to them, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's a very interesting kind of exploration to do. Like, who were you before productivity? Um, who were you before you knew about money? Who were you before you knew about status? Um, who, you know, who were you at the stage where you didn't know what loans were? Um, because I think that's an interesting time to kind of analyze and an interesting time to delve into, because what were the things that you were doing just out of pure you know, pleasure? And it doesn't need to be the same things that you focus on right now, but it can be, what's the parts of those things that were really attracting you to them? So I feel like so much is kind of stomped out of us as we grow up. Um, and so, so much value in what we were interested in as children kind of disappears um, as we grow older. And I think it's quite fun to go back there, re-explore that and find the things that we are passionate about again, because I, 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 my theory is that they can increase our happiness in life. So for example, when I was a child, I was fascinated by magic. I was very, very fascinated by magic. And I think fictional books, I think it, it tends to be the case for very many children. But um, yeah, same for me. I was obsessed with magic in books. I really liked reading. I could read endlessly um, as much as I wanted to. And I think I've gotten back into that in the last few years, um, just realizing this, that this was a habit. This was something that I loved doing when I didn't get paid for it. This is something that I love doing naturally. And therefore, I think it does give me genuine happiness. Um, I was obsessed with people. <laughs> I'm, I always was very, very curious about people. And I just wanted to know what makes them tick and why they behave the way they do. I think I was very confused by people when I was younger and their behavior. And I think I just really wanted to understand what made people behave the way that they do, what makes people angry, what makes people happy, what makes people react in certain ways. Um, why why are people different? Why do they change? Um, what are their incentives and what are their reasons? When are they be on, being honest and when are they being dishonest? And how can we make, I, I think I was fascinated with happiness too. Like, how do you make people happy? I think as a child, you always want to kind of make your parents happy and you want to, um, and you don't like seeing kind of pain in the world. Of course, no one does, but as a child, I think you have the the space to really consider that and you have the time to kind of try and in your innocence and without knowing that there's limitations to what you can do, I guess at that stage, you can really go into trying, attempting to understand how this thing's thing works and how you can change it. So I think I was very, very fascinated by human psychology when I was younger and I still am. Um, but 
there's this pattern here where there's these things that I loved doing as a child that I just had let go um, because I thought, well, you know, and not thought of in a long time, but I didn't realize that they were the innate Elizabeth things. They're the real Elizabeth things. And I guess this is, this is why when I started this podcast, I started talking about why I feel the way I do, because this is something that I've been interested in before anything else. Um, and for example, even my fascination with the human body, um, I, I am interested in human biology, but it didn't come stem from human biology. It, it stemmed for a fascination with human psychology um, and understanding how people hurt and how people work. And especially I was very obsessed with crime when I was younger. Um, and we had this a few books actually um, that were encyclopedias and a lot of them were like the encyclopedia of war and crime. And I would find it so fascinating what would drive people to do these horrible things. And I would try to imagine how people might have felt um, in these situations, both in kind of the offending side and both in the sufferer side. And that then led to an interest in human biology through through that. So the the, in, the core thing for me always was the human mind um, and how people work in systems, in groups, in tribes, and also um, on their own as, with themselves. I'm really fascinated about how people work with themselves and how we, how our inner state of being kind of um, exists. I was interested in art and drawing forever. Um, also something that I didn't do for very many years. Um, but I think that's the sad bit. Um, I think the sad bit is that I kind of accrued and accumulated habits as an adult without considering the natural things that I did before I was paid for things, the natural things that I gravitated towards. And I think those are very, very, very important. They're very important because clearly there are things that I was genuinely interested in. There are clearly things that I would apparently genuinely do even if I wasn't paid for them. Um, and most importantly, I think they are things in which I have a huge unfair advantage when it comes to considering and doing these things. And the reason for that is I think that the, the ways that with the patterns that we think and the ways of thinking and the interests that we lay down as children kind of give us a very, very strong perspective and framework to view the world. And I guess it's just like neurobiology, because as you're younger, you, you're born with very, very many neural connections. And those tend to kind of, the, the act of growing up is, sorry for the biology lesson, but the act of growing up is the act of um, kind of, of neural connections between, of connections between neurons dying out. So um, we just, we form these pathways, these neural pathways that keep firing and firing and firing. So the habits that we create when we are younger, the ways that we are viewing the world when we are younger, they reinforce some neural connections and all the others die out. And that's just, that's the same for everyone. It's, it's, it's how we grow up. We have way too many when we're younger and then we fall into these patterns of thinking and then we become adults basically. So the ways that we view the world and the things that we learn and the things that we know when we are children are really well established in life. And they, I think that we need to kind of we need, we could, not we need to, we don't need to do anything, but we could potentially um, kind of use them a bit more and use this unfair advantage a bit more. And that's not to say that we can't learn new things. I mean, obviously there's lots of neuroplasticity even as adults and um, your interest in something will obviously lead to learning. But the things that you were drawn to as a child, potentially um, you're going to be good at for the rest of your life. And something that I found interesting is that a lot of people that I know that were interested in magic, um, like close-up magic and things like that, um, end up becoming going into mathematical fields. And for example, my personal theory with that is that magic is quite um, analytical and math 
and mathematical because um, it's very rule-based. And for example, for a magic trick to work, we both need to agree on rules that exist in the world in order for you to break them. Because if you made something levitate, but we don't agree that gravity exists, that's not a magic trick. There's just, it's not magic to me. It's like not interesting. So I think magic is very, very rule-based. And um, I think people who are interested in magic and interested in learning the rules and interested in learning how to break them, then go into fields potentially that are quite like engineering and um, and kind of finance and mathematical. And that's at least been my experience. I don't know if I have obviously a huge bias and I don't have a large sample group here to to discuss this with, but um, at least in my life, I, I've, I've, I, I like asking people what they were interested in when they were children um, and what they kind of what what did they go all in on when they were children because you become quite obsessive when you're a child I think you have the space and the time to become really obsessive so I like to ask people what they were obsessed with when they were children and what they would spend their time on and um then I guess it's I would recommend that you do the same thing and then you go and ask yourself um yeah when was the last time you did that or what other fields could you benefit from with through that so for example um, yes, with the magic, maybe you're good at learning rules. Maybe you're good at systems thinking. Um, maybe you're good at breaking rules. <laughs> um, and how can you then apply that in mathematical fields, for example, um, or fields that have a lot of kind of structure and organization? Um, and if you're good at art, maybe you are an artist or a creative person by nature and you can somehow leverage that in the jobs that you are currently doing. And um, if you're good at reading, do you have a job that allows you to gather information, to learn new things, um, to analyze things? And if not, I mean, let's do that, shall we? Let's go back into the things that we would be, um, back into the things that we were interested in when we were younger, because I think it just kind of improves <laughs> your life in general. And in that way, I think we can teach ourselves to re-fall in love with things. Um, and those things might not be the exact same things that we had when we were children, but I think we can leverage the commonalities, the essential bits of that into what we have in our day-to-day -day life to potentially bring some more happiness with it and be more intentional with the ways that we are happy and the things that we experience in the world. Um, and yes, I think these habits extend beyond um, just the the kind of hobbies that we had as children, but even in our behavior and in our communication with people. Um, and I think this view of how am I building my future and how am I building my future happiness and how am I kind of establishing or reinforcing habits for future Elizabeth is um, a good way to kind of inspire myself to do things that I'm too scared to do. So um, I have this weird perspective where when I'm trying to get myself to do something that I'm too scared to do, I either think of younger, my younger self, or I think of my future self. Um, in the way that I think of my younger self, I think of, you know, a baby Elizabeth that was really scared and, um, and kind of insecure, but who wanted these things. And I'm like, no, I'm going to give that girl the life that she wanted. Um, so I'll think of either a picture of myself when I was younger, or I'll picture myself in my mind when I was younger and I'll go, okay, yeah, no, I'm doing this for her. And it's kind of, I turn in that case into like a protective older sister or a protective mother um, or kind of the the parent that I wish I had or the person that I wish I had in my life and go, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. I know you would have wanted this or I'm not going to allow um, this to happen to you now as an adult because you're still that girl and I don't want bad things to happen to that girl. So I do tend to kind of think of my younger self in that way, but I also tend to think of my future self. For example, if I'm scared of telling someone how I feel about them, um, I think of like 50 year old Elizabeth 
And I think that I don't want to be a person who is, I want that, I want 50 year old Elizabeth to be a person who speaks her mind and who is not scared to say whatever the hell she wants, basically, without, obviously without hurting people's feelings, but I want her to be the sort of person who's not scared of speaking her mind. And unless I start establishing those habits right now, there is no way, where is she going to be confident? Where is 50-year-old Elizabeth going to find the confidence if, you know, 26-year-old Elizabeth cannot say what's on her mind? So I go, okay, that's the reason I'm doing this. And YOLO, we go in because in the long run, this will um, kind of build the person that I want to become if that makes sense. Um, so yes, I think this habit perspective um, is quite an interesting one because it allows me to be intentional with my happiness because I do think that, you know, my own happiness is my responsibility and the world sucks, especially recently. The world sucks a lot and I'm not going to expect it to be peaceful or happy um, or content enough for me um, because it, it, it just won't be. I have enough evidence in my years of life and through reading history to know that the world, if anything, just makes things worse. And not in a pessimistic, depressing way. I mean, the world is beautiful and it's better than it's ever been before and more peaceful than it's ever been before, despite everything that's going on. But still, I don't think the world can give me things if I'm not there to take them. And especially, I mean, I see rich people, I see successful people and very, very often, especially actually most of them are just so miserable. They're so, so miserable. And I know this is so cliche, but it's actually true. And I've like, I've genuinely, um, like I've genuinely seen this because when I was younger, I used to get very frustrated when people would say this and I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, that must be so hard to cry in your mansion, but it's true. They suffer just as much, if not more, as I have and I do. So that makes me go, okay, fine. It's not going to be a certain amount of money. It's not going to be a certain state of the world. It's not going to be anything that's going to ever make me happy. And that's kind of my responsibility. And I do think that it's a mental hygiene exercise and it's a um, personal responsibility and it's a combination of my habits and how those habits set me up for happiness. So my vibe right now is um, to start and think more about where my current habits are taking me, um, to be more intentional about happiness, to be less uncomfortable with the question of being, of asking myself or being asked if I'm happy, because I should be able to answer that as a yes or a no. And if it's a no, then what the hell are you doing? Like, what, are, what is more important than that right now? Um, obviously as someone who doesn't have children, like I'll just put that caveat in there. So as someone who doesn't have children, what else is, you know, my responsibility than my own happiness? It feels a bit weird that that shouldn't be up there with my priorities. So, in that state, I think, okay, it's um, it's time for me to change that. And it's time for me to rearrange that differently. Um, and yeah, and focus on that a bit more. So I think that was a bit chaotic, but um, hopefully it made sense to you. And yeah, if I want to leave you with anything, it's the thought of what did you do when you were younger for fun? Just that's a fun exercise to go through again and again. So what were the things that um, you were glad and happy to do without being prompted to without being forced to, that you could spend, go all in on um, what are those things and can you do more of the same thing or do they say something deeper about you as a person and how can you potentially leverage those and the things that you are already doing in the job that you already have, in the decisions that you've already made or the way that you've already designed your life or do you have to restructure everything potentially? Because 
you know, why not? <laughs> and where are your habits taking you? Where are your eating habits? Where are your friendship habits? Where is your current style of communication? Where is your um, current like schedule and sleep schedule and work and um, communication with your partner? Where is that taking you in 10 years um, and 20 years and 50 years? And is that the place you want to get to? Or do you just have to change? And I think we can just snap our fingers and change, honestly. We're only a combination of our actions and I mean, easier said than done. <laughs> Sorry, easier said than done. I'm still struggling on doing habits for years and years. But I think that th- things are not set in stone and we can definitely unlearn things and teach ourselves a lot. So yeah, um, if you, of course, with, with help and with exercises and with therapists potentially, but I do think that we can change and build a life that is closer, at least to what we want it to be. Okay, um, I'll wrap that up here. If you made it so far, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Be kind to yourself and others and don't believe everything you think. Thanks. Bye.